0: What's up everybody, welcome to win some, lose a little with your favorite resident DJ I'll be as easy um, I will probably have to step out, I'm on call tonight um, So if for some reason my phone rings and the show ends abruptly Don't think anything crazy happened, I'm just on call for my job But I'm hoping, knock on wood, nothing interrupts this podcast um, We've got a lot to cover tonight I uh, should run about an hour, but um, it's some important information um, that I'm hoping to cover. Uh, let's see. We'll start with my weekend. My weekend was great, actually. Um, uh, capped off by, obviously, the, uh, the Patrick Cantley win uh, for golf. And I know last week I had talked about or I mentioned WNBA and golf. And so I wanted to make sure that I cover those two things today uh, because golf is – in full swing, it lasts pretty much year round. Uh, I mean, there there's a tournament basically every weekend, and um, <clears throat> there's a lot of opportunity uh, for for um, financial gain in golf betting. Um, I'm I'm actually going to uh, excuse me. I'm actually going to uh, venture out and uh, start doing uh, DFS here soon. Uh, and, and people who know me personally know how much I hate daily fantasy. But it's just it's just too it's just too tempting. I mean, golf is, and I've said this numerous times within our group. Golf is one of the best sports to bet on in my mind, because it's like low risk bets but high reward. I mean, you're looking at the average golfer, even the favorites are ten to one. You know, so you you have so many opportunities to um to increase your your pot. When you win golf tournaments and it's not even just winning golf tournaments. There's plenty of props, uh, top 10, top 20 props, um, especially for majors. Um, you can, you can hit those pretty heavily, especially if you know, uh, young golfers. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, my favorite young golfer <clears throat> over the last couple years was, uh, John Ron. Uh, he's a, a Spaniard. I think he went to Arizona state, uh, but he, Got his tour card, and, and I mean he, he was a bomber. That's what got my attention. The guys was he was just driving the ball really far, but there was potential there. And um, he he placed in a lot of tournaments, made the cut. Um, I, I I rode John Rom bets for pretty much a good year. Uh, this year my, my go-to uh, young guy is Xander Shoffley. Um, <clears throat> he's actually had two wins, and, and both of those wins I was a part of. Uh, at, at 40 to 1 odds. So, mind you, um, if anybody that's not a supreme mathematician like myself, joking, uh, if you put $10 on a 40 to 1 and he wins, you got $400. Now, think about this. Um, you could play a golf tournament every single weekend. On non major tournaments, rare Is it that anybody under 20 to 1 wins the non-major tournaments, okay? You can make a lot of money. Um, I've got, sorry, like I said, uh, I had to keep it on. I'm going to silence my phone real quick, but I'll just have to look down when I talk. I sincerely apologize for such ratchiness. <laughs> I dropped my phone on my keyboard and disconnected myself. But anyway, what I was saying prior to that is, um, <clears throat> I've got eight wins in golf this this year, about eight wins roughly. Um, I started playing tournaments back in January. Um, some people who've been keeping track with that, um, I, I won a um, it was like a, a almost forty to one with uh, Matt Coocher uh a twenty nine to one I think was Xander Shoffley. There was another in there where I think Xander Shoffley was twenty five to one. I won uh the program with uh Phil Mickelson uh when they first went to Pebble Beach and I think he was about thirty to one, thirty five to one or something like that. And then um some some random tournaments here and there on the inside. Uh there was one where I wanna say Justin Thomas or some somebody won one for me um, in February. I took some time off in March to focus on March Madness, and then I started back uh, in April. And, and you know, people have been following. I won the Masters with Tiger Woods, and then I won um, the uh, the U.S. Open with Brooks Koepka at Beth Page, and then I just won this past weekend with Patrick Cantley uh, at the Memorial. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over my strategy um, for how I go about picking my golfers. Okay. So first of all, uh, I need everybody to understand that as much as I love to think that I am the reason why I always win. Um, I am not, um, I'm not guess you say, uh, conceded enough not to, um, to admit that I, I do get assistance in, in coming up with my picks. So this is what a typical week for me looks like. Um and I have to give a shout out to Ian uh Harrison in our group. Um he he has pretty much motivated me to continue uh placing bets on golf. Uh, there were there was a time where I was just kinda gonna put it off to the side and be like, Yeah, I might play it, I might not, you know, it wasn't a big deal. But because we communicate pretty much every week, even when we don't place bets on tournaments, we communicate every week about golf, uh, it stayed fresh in my mind, and um, and those conversations are a huge help. One, because it gives me a different perspective, and, and I um, would consider him an expert opinion on the game. So I am basically what what, what I would consider like a fantasy sport type mind. So I see... Uh, golfers, and and the names. I know all the names and stuff, but everything's a statistic with me with golf. So I don't know anything about the clubs other than the driver and the putter. (laughs) I don't know anything about the woods. I don't know anything about the irons. I don't know anything about that. I kind of have an idea what an iron means or when people talk about iron play, yada, yada, yada. I don't really focus on those things. Um, Anytime I have questions, I go to Ian or um, my, my homeboy, Jeff. I use him as well because he plays golf. So I use those those two guys for um, expert opinions on uh, course layouts on um, what they think the the strategy would be. You know, we got a par 72 um, and the wind's blowing, you know, there's a, there's a water hazard on the left. And then we got bunkers on the right and the uh, fairway is narrow. You know, how do people tend to approach that? How would you approach that? And I, I take all that into consideration um, another thing that I do um, is that I I read, and every every Tuesday on uh, Roto Grinders there's a um, there's a uh, kind of a preview course layout thing uh, with Mister um, Notorious, who who I I've already shouted him out on Twitter a couple times uh, for for help as well um, because he does course layouts and he makes picks actually. He used to do uh, last year for sure. He just did fantasy picks, uh, daily fantasy picks. Um, but here lately, he's done daily fantasy picks, prop picks, and he's um, started doing outright betting picks. Okay, so um, obviously he makes a ton of money off the daily fantasy. He won like one hundred and forty thousand this past weekend. Um, so he, if you're listening, you know he's a good resource for daily fantasy. But I, I usually look at his write-ups uh, to get an idea of what he's targeting uh, for particular winners and, and what he thinks would be the most important um, attributes that we're looking for in, in a winning golfer. Uh, from there, I go over to um, the Searching for the Specialist uh, portion on DFS. He usually comes out on Tuesday as well. Uh, I forgot the, the, the guy's name who writes it. But this guy breaks it down. From a statistical standpoint, he does basically what Notorious does. He takes attributes that he likes based off the course, and then he goes through and picks people who who grade high out of those particular attributes. So what happens is at the end, he picks what he considers specialists for that particular course. Sometimes there's one. Sometimes there's three. Sometimes there's four. And he does a layout at the end where he talks about golfers in top form. All right. So you take all that in consideration. I got guys who watch the sport, follow the sport, and play the sport. And then I got guys who, from a gambling aspect, understand the intricacies of of the course. And then what I do is I take my personal feelings that I have with the golf golfers and, and what I've seen um, along the way, and I make my picks. Um, so what I've come up with is a system where I pick five golfers, um, and I break them down into tiers. So, tier one golfers are the guys who, who are your elite golfers. So, obviously, Tiger Woods, um, he's now gotten his way back into tier one, but the way I really describe tier one golfers are the, is, is by their odds. So, uh, golfers who are favorite, like the ultimate favorite, so you the lowest I've seen this year I think was eight to one. So anybody from eight to one, all the way up to maybe fifteen to one would be considered tier one, considering um, the, the the actual tournament. So the Memorial is not a major, but it was an A class field because it was invite only, and and it was Jack Nicholas, and a lot of people obviously have feelings for Jack and Jack's a big uh, proponent in, in facing golf. So people show up when they get their invitations and they want to, they want to play well. And then at the end, you get to shake Jack's hand, you get a trophy, but it's just an honor basically to win that tournament. So I treated this like a major and anytime I'm betting on major golf tournaments, I usually take uh, two to three tier one people based off of the field. And what's, I think is the most important attribute of a Tier 1 golfer is how they play with uh, loaded fields. And that's an actual um, statistic uh, that that at least Roto-Grinders keeps, and I think is very, very important. Uh, that is why I picked Tiger, that is why I picked Brooks, and that is why I picked Patrick Cantley this past week. In the last three uh, wins that I've got in majors, I base some of my picks off of guys that I know who are going to play and not fade when the pressure's on. And and people might not think that that's an important thing, but if you look at the uh, the Masters, you got uh, Francisco Molinari. I mean, he was rolling. And then he got into that last grouping, same with Tony Finau. They were playing some really good golf and they got in that last grouping with Tiger Woods and it bothered them. It really didn't. Uh, Molinari's Not one of the guys that's known to be frazzled easily, but uh, I think it was the the shot on 12, um, or was it the 13, whatever that one famous hole is with the water, uh, he basically pressured himself into trying to uh, force the shot onto the green rather than hitting it in the middle of the green, which is what everybody pretty much knows that you're supposed to do. He went for the pin, and it cost him. He hit the water, and Tiger kind of took off and got in front of him. And it wasn't that Tiger played incredible golf. It's just that he played well enough to, to, to win based off of the fact that they were giving up shots. And uh, guys like Brooks Koepka, Brooks is awesome in loaded fields. He's just a competitive guy. It gets some focus. He's, he's dialed in. And, and he's just always there when it comes to competitive fields. Uh, DJ is another one, Dustin Johnson, always ready when it comes to competitive fields. And that's why you see them uh, in the thick of things a lot. And that was why I picked Brooks um, at the Open because of how he um, how he goes into these big tournaments. Patrick Canley, um, again, is another player who over the last, or at least this season, when he's played in loaded fields, he's pretty much been the top three golfer. Um, he's just always, like, in the in the second-to-last grouping or final grouping, and he's always in the mix to, to win, and it worked out for me this weekend. But these are, like I said, calculated bets. There's as a system to it. So these are my Tier 1 guys. Um, then I go to Tier 2 guys. So Tier 2, um, I would consider Tier 2 to be 20-to-1 and 40-to-1, and the reason why I'm not saying, uh, I'm not picking up exactly where I left off on tier one. is because there are some times where golfers will be tier one play level, but they'll be tier two pricing. So I I still consider that a tier one golfer. Um, Case in point, Tiger Woods um, at the Masters was 16 to one. So it doesn't necessarily fit that threshold of a tier one uh, golfer, but I consider Tiger a tier one golfer uh, for the Masters simply because of his history there and the fact that he was, he was coming around. All right, the putting wasn't necessarily there, but again, you can kind of throw that out the window because he's dialed in when he plays tough fields. So it's a calculated risk, but for the purpose of me capping, um, I, I didn't consider that necessarily a uh, tier two uh, player because he's a tier one level. Um, even though it was borderline Tier 2 prices. So uh, with that being said, Xander Shoffley um, was a uh, Tier 1, was a similar uh, instance as Tiger this past weekend. So he was Tier 1 in my mind, but he was a Tier 2 uh, price. So I took Xander. Xander was about 20 to 25 to on one. I can't remember off the top of my head. But either way, um, I based the pick of Xander, one, when Xander's playing against tough fields, he's he's very good. All right. Two, Xander is very good on um courses where you can make a play uh with the par fives for Eagles and, and uh and basically birdier better courses. So the pins are easier to hit. Yeah, the greens are kind of fast, but the guy can drive the ball almost three hundred and fifty yards. You got par fives that are under four ninety Occasionally and stuff like that, he can reach those pins in, in too easily. So you you take that into consideration and and you you make your pick off of that. So that's one of the reasons why I like to play Xander on the uh, bigger courses. Um, and then from there, like I said, tier one, tier two, and then I go tier three to borderline long shot. So tier threes are probably forty to. Like sixty to one, and then depending on the tournament, I might consider my forty to sixties a long shot. Um, So prime example, um, the the Open. I picked. um, I think I picked Justin Rose and I picked Brooks Koepka, and I think there was another person that I might have taken that were like I kind of loaded up on tier ones. So my long shot for the Open. Was a, I think it was 40 to 1 or or almost 60 to 1, but that was my long shot for the Open. Now, for this last tournament, the Memorial, my long shot was 80 to 1. That was Phil Mickelson. So I think actually, yeah, my 60 to 1 was Bubba Watson at the Open. And for the Memorial, my 80 to 1 long shot was uh, Phil Mickelson. So I got a little reckless on that. I think I put about twenty bucks on Phil to to win like sixteen hundred. It would have been great, obviously, but he didn't play that well. Um, and I want to say I might have put like fifteen on on Bubba. So then we get into uh, the the money layout for golf. Okay, again, we're talking about some legitimate high odds, right? So if you're out here putting a hundred dollars on forty to one golfers, God bless you. Okay, I'm not ever putting that much money on it. All right, um, I got reckless a little, and I put fifty on Cantley this past weekend. So if he was fifteen to one at fifty, you guys do the math. It's still a decent payout. It's not necessarily breaking the bank, but a fifty dollar investment on a fifteen to one that pays out is, is decent money. Um, so typically, depending on the the tournament, um, and depending on how much my pot is, I try to put a hundred dollars into the, the golf tournament overall, investing $100 into the tournament. So the idea of picking five golfers is you give yourself a chance and you kind of spread it out over the tiers because a lot of times in golf, it's not just the, the best golfers that are winning. So you want to give yourself an opportunity. Picking a golfer to win is not an exact uh, science. So you need to spread your bets out. You need to pick five guys. Or or when I first started, I was doing like 10 to 20 I was doing like $5 bets um, on each. So now I got a hundred dollars. Now I I bet accordingly. So I put half my pot on Patrick Cantley this past weekend and and it paid out. There are times where, um, I might not do something like that. I might break it even and do $20 a piece on each person. Sometimes I do, uh, like in this case, I did 50 on Patrick and, and spaced it out a little bit more. And the reason why I was able to do that is because, um, I had Phil Mickelson at 80-to-1. Generally, I only put like $5 on something like that. But uh, like I said, this past weekend, I put 20 and And um, I didn't necessarily hit the $100 pot this past weekend. I basically blew my load on it <laughs> pot-wise. But either way, I had just cashed out, and I had money to blow. And so I, I basically cashed out and put everything I had that was left over in the golf tournament, and it paid out for me. I don't recommend everybody doing stuff like that, but um, I don't tell people how to spend their money. Ultimately, you do it how you feel necessary. But to start out, if you're going to do it, um, like I said, pick a number that you want to just put in the tournament and try to get an investment out. So let's say you lose every single tournament. You lost $400 for the month, okay? I know it it sounds like a lot, and it it is a lot depending on your, your load. But in my case, I've, I've had a pretty decent run at winning uh, golf bets. So uh, this is dating back to almost two years ago. I'm basically winning a, a a golf tournament every three months max, like minimal, sorry, every three months minimal I'm winning a tournament. Now, when I win those tournaments, generally speaking, they're giving me back at minimum $500 when I win them. All right. So when I say, um, and I think some people have heard me say it before, I always say that I'm playing with house money when it comes to golf, because a lot of times in situations like I got right now, I've won eight tournaments in the last uh what is this? The six months. So I've won eight tournaments in the last six months. And I told you I didn't even bet every tournament. I took um I took a whole month the whole month of March off. Um I bet the masters and then took the next week off and then turned around and bet in another tournament and won and then took another week off and turn around and bet in another tournament and won. So yeah, I'm, I'm way ahead. I'm way ahead. I got 40 to one, 35 to one, all these crazy odds. So I'm way ahead uh, financially for golf this year. Um, But it doesn't always work that way. So again, you want to kind of keep an eye on your, on your money that you're putting in and and what you're getting out of it. Uh, One of the ways that I like to supplement money is that I, um, or supplement losses is um, I kind of hedge if I pick a golfer to win and I really like the odds on him to win I hedge him to finish top twenty uh, because if you think if you really think somebody's got a chance to win top twenty is nothing and what you what you're getting with a lot of these mid tier guys that are twenty to one um, like uh, between twenty and forty to one if you get them in the top twenty which I I, I like that top twenty pick for guys like that because what you're getting is you're either getting even odds or you're playing with like for every dollar you're getting a dollar and, and twenty five cent back type thing. So you can still make a decent payout um or at least break even or hedge that. So if you put a hundred dollars on five guys to win, but let's say you got uh one of your guys and uh you know he's a, he's good at this course like Xander Shaffle, you know Xander's good at this course and you put a hundred dollars on Xander at um plus one fifty or something like that, you're gonna get a dollar and fifty cents back on every dollar you spent. You're just gonna end up with a hundred and fifty dollars back. And you, you lost a hundred, you, you win a hundred and fifty, so it's a fifty dollar uh win for you, uh for that particular bet. It's better than losing a hundred dollars. So that's kind of one of the ways that I, I hedge on my bet. So he needs a shout out for his uh two day run twenty five uh twenty two thousand two hundred fifty dollars and forty eight dollars um that's a good run and um so one other thing that i wanna uh touch on before we we roll into w n b a um and it's it's got to do with golf but in but gambling in general um what i've learned and and the reason why i've been semi successful as an amateur better on my end like i I've been able to make money for myself and and my family and things of that nature is that you have to humble yourself if you're going to bet Um, now there are professionals out here like they do this they wake up they know the lines they got connects they got their system they tweet about it you know they got client after client like those guys are are the pros they can win and lose and and they've got stories to tell you and stuff like that and that's great Um, but if you're starting out You have to tell yourself that you do not know everything. So be open-minded. You don't necessarily have to believe everything somebody tells you, but um, be receptive to advice and plays of other people. Even if you don't follow it, keep an eye out, because everybody sees things differently, and you can really pick up some things from people um, just by talking to them, even people who don't bet. Uh, Like I said, I I don't even know – if Ian actually puts money down like I put down on the on the matches. I know he picks golf, golfers with his friends and stuff like that. They got, like, a little pool, I think. But I don't know if he's, like, a legitimate, like, de- degenerate like I am. But us talking every week really benefits me because, again, I get to see what he's seeing, and he's got a different set of eyes, and he gets to see what I'm seeing. And there are plenty of times where we kind of pick the same golfers and uh, there are times where we, we kind of separate on some things, but it's good to see, you know, a different perspective. So don't ever be too cocky where you can't accept advice or, or at least give consideration to what people say. I mean, I give consideration to what people are saying, and there are times where I don't even want to, like, like I know they don't know what they're talking about, but I still be like, hmm, I might Google it or, or look for it when I watch the game or something like that just to see, you know, what they're seeing, if they're right and um i i try to be um humble enough that i'm never downing people per se i mean if you're wrong you're wrong and if you're giving terrible advice then i might say something but for the most part i try to at least respect other people's uh perspectives and picks um to the point where i'm not i'm not a, a jerk about it okay so um with that being said um golf has been great like i said Anybody listening to this, if you just really listen to that for the next 28 minutes or last 28 minutes a year, trying to figure out what all that means, you can, you can DM me. I don't mind sharing information from you guys. Uh, people who are in the IBS All-Star groups have already seen that breakdown when I talk about the tiers and how I pick. Every time I pick a golfer, I explain every single pick. So all five picks, I explain the logic behind why I'm picking them. So um, I think that really helps people. Um, when, when they're looking or trying to follow me So um, Let me see Alright So rolling into uh, A sport that people don't like But it pays out and it's so Lovely WNBA Yes WNBA. And I have to give a shout out to my boy, CeCe, because I'm not going to sit here and tell you people that I I was so into WNBA betting. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I clowned him for WNBA betting when he first uh, introduced it to me. I was like, you got a problem. And, and he was more or less like, well, it's a winning problem. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I I followed some of his plays, and I kind of like picked it up, and then I ran with it. And now I'm probably more of a WNBA fan than he is. Like, he Probably still play, makes plays on it, but I actually watch the game. Uh, she, my wife watches it with me from time to time. I invested in the uh, WNBA app. Uh, I actually know how much it costs to stream all WNBA games. I have the WNBA uh, package <laughs> to watch the games, but I won't spend a hundred dollars for uh, for uh, football and uh, NBA. So. I have um, ML, the MLB package, and I have the WNBA package. Now, the reason for that is is because those two sports are the hardest to, to follow people um, with capping. So it's the hardest to get information from without watching it yourself, in my mind. Um, a lot of what people listen to for NFL and college football, college basketball, and NBA – you see, you see the highlights. You see the games. These things are accessible. Baseball and WNBA, they're more of a regional thing, so it's really hard to to see certain games, to get information on certain games. So I feel it, um, I felt it was necessary to invest in the packages, so I can watch them on my phone. I can get the updates on my phone as well, and it kind of opened up some doors for me. And I and I take it very serious uh because I want that return on investment. Now sixteen dollars ain't nothing like I can make that up and doing anything. I make sixteen dollars up at at the penny slots. But the hundred and forty nine that I put in my baseball package before I got the student discount, nah, I need to I need to get that return. So um and I have obviously but these are these are necessary steps in my mind um so I can self cap. Now, if I was just depending on somebody else or something, it probably wouldn't be a big deal, but because I do my own capping at the end of the day, I make my own calls, um, I think it was very important for me to to get those apps. So um, the WNBA app, if it's not really that great for stats and, and updates per se. Um, they do give you stories and things like that. The website's a little clunky, too. It's, it's gotten more user-friendly over the years, but you're not going to find a lot of data uh, like you do, like especially advanced data for WNBA. Um, so how do we count WNBA? What are we looking for in WNBA? Uh, first thing first, guard play. Uh, if the girls can shoot, if they play fast-paced, those things matter. Does the team play inside and inside out or outside in, how do they run the floor, um, the matchups. Um, so to give you an example of a game I recently capped. So the Connecticut Suns are one of the better teams in the WNBA this year. All right. I don't know the chick's name, but they got this girl that's like 6'5 or 6'7 or something like that. She got three-point range. She can, she can score on the block. She can actually handle the rock a little bit. They they jokingly call her female Kevin Durant, and I know some people probably rolling their eyes. And so she's a she's a mismatch against a lot of teams because of her ability to, to put the ball on the floor, to to post up, to, to stretch the defenses. So she gives the Connecticut Suns an advantage over most teams. Now, the Connecticut Suns have a very deep team, so they got people coming off their bench that can hit shots and know how to play, and the system does not change no matter who's on the floor. So you take all that into consideration, good team, uh, one actually one of the favorites to win the, um, the championship this year, traveling to a team that's favorite to win the championship, the uh, Las Vegas Aces. Now, the Aces are one of the most intriguing teams in the WNBA. They got a lot of names that everybody would recognize because they come from Washington, UConn, and things of that nature. They've been all in the tournament, and they they made a couple trades for some of the elite players in the WNBA, and they've, they've acquired them. So they've got a, a stacked team, right? They got a good team. Now, what they don't have is uh, continuity in their backcourt. Now, how did I see this? Obviously, by watching games, okay? Now, we're only, I think we're only like three weeks into the season, but it was apparent. I think I watched the first two games. It was obvious these girls are having issues in the backcourt, mainly with my girl Kelsey Plum, who I I love and adore, um, but she's just not getting it done, right? So the Aces just played the Mercury, which everybody knows Brittany Griner and uh, Diane Taurasi, their team. So Taurasi's hurt. Um, They travel – to Phoenix, lose a game against the Mercury. Mind you, I had played the Aces. Uh, It was a tight tight line. I think it was like a two-point spread. But I played the Aces um, because I just knew they were going to win because they were the better team. Well, the uh, late January and then Griner and that team over there in Phoenix had more uh, chemistry, and they were playing at home. And they, they pulled away from them at the end. And it was some of the mistakes that I saw at the end of the game that made me want to fade them when they were traveling or when they were going back home to play the Suns. Now, the Suns were coming off a game against the Los Angeles Sparks, um, and they lost, which I had bet the Sparks. It was a a tight line too, but I bet the underdog on the Sparks uh, money line. I made a couple dollars off of that. So just like I said, follow me here. I'm giving you the whole perspective, all right? So we got A, B, C going, and we got all these things going. So there was a one day off between the Aces game and then this um, game against the Suns with the Aces at home. So the Aces traveled from Phoenix back to Las Vegas, got a day rest, and then the Suns were coming to town. Now, the Suns had been on the West Coast for about three or four days, okay? So they at this point, they're acclimated to the time. They just lost to the Sparks, but they were chomping at the bits, and they were in Vegas basically resting and waiting for the aces who only got one day of rest for some reason that line was super inflated now I, I was um, in the all-star group and I've been telling people I've gotten a little bit better at, at capping games myself before the lines come out so I said in my mind that this was a two to two and a half point game that the aces should be favored because they're at home by two two and a half points the line opens and the aces are five point favorites I mean, I had no I I really thought it was a trap before. I was like, is somebody out? Am I missing something here? So I waited. Um just just briefly waited and watched the line. And one thing about the WBA lines on Bookmaker, um, usually they, they go up and down really quick. Um, and I don't really know if it's if it's any indication of who's gonna win. I've tried to uh do some percentages in my head and it honestly just seems like luck of the draw. You can't really follow it. So, in this instance, um, the line went to five and a half, then it went back down to five. So, knowing what I know and and telling myself that I, I, I know for a fact that this is a two to two and a half game, period, all right? We're getting a bucket, almost two buckets, you know? So, I took the five on the Suns, and I took the money line. On the Suns, which is like plus one fifty, and the Suns beat the smack out the out the Aces, and like um you know when when you put that kind of thought into something and it pays out is really rewar- rewarding. Um, and I share all these picks on uh in the All Star groups anyway, but it's just just having that um that win was re- really refreshing, um and knowing what you know and making it work. Uh, and that's basically what I've been doing in WNBA. Uh, today I had a really big win. Earlier this month I put a lot of money on it, actually, a um, couple hundred, actually. Um, the under in the Sparks versus Liberty game, uh, it was it opened at 157.5, and then for some reason it was, it was 159 within, like, 20 seconds. And I was like, there's no way that you're going to tell me a team traveling from the West Coast is going to win. Get, get up for a, a, um, a 11 o'clock in the morning game on the East Coast. And the spread was six. And I was like, that needs to be a little bit lower. So I took the under at 159. I didn't touch the spread. I didn't want to get too greedy. But I did tell um, one of the guys that um, is one of my clients, I did tell him that in my mind, it was a tad bit too much to eat for a six-point spread on a team that had basically no rest. It, I mean, the flights and, and the money in the WNBA is not that great. They probably literally got off the plane and had to play. So I was like, that's not really uh, something I was I would want to do. Now the funny thing about that is, is that the spread was brought down to five by the time it tipped off, and then they ended up getting a push. I think the um, I think the Sparks won by five today, but the under was saved by almost almost eight nine points and and that's great, you know. So um the only thing that really jacks up um unders in WNBA is overtime and it's really weird cuz the, the ladies can they shoot mid-range shots really well at a really high percentage um but they can't hit free throws. So it's it's like it's weird. You don't typically see that in in basketball players in general no matter what they their um, gender is, is usually if you can knock down the the jump shots, you can shoot free throws. But a lot of the ladies miss free throws, so it's kind of tricky with the over-unders. One thing you also get, though, is you get a lot of fouls in the WNBA. So even if they're only shooting 57% from the free throw line, they're still getting, like, 35, 40 free throws a game. So it helps push the over. And like I said, most of them are are, – are pretty good with mid-range shots and three-point shots, so um, I'm a, I'm a fan of it because of gambling. I don't know if I would watch it if I didn't bet on it. I'll be honest with you, but I can respect athletes, and and this would be my my um, plug for the WNBA is that the girls are more athletic than what they used to be. Yeah, you're not getting dunking, but there's a lot of skill involved in a lot of the WNBA players, especially in the backcourt. Now the frontcourt. You're still going to have some some slow, non-athletic girls up front. But there are a couple like Cambridge from um, the Aces that's that's got great footwork and skill sets that if you like the game of basketball, you can appreciate. Okay? So that would be my plug for it. And then the the degenerate plug is is that WNBA cashes like everything else. I came up $200 this morning at 11 o'clock. Basically played – Put the play in, went to a meeting, picked up my lunch, came back $201 in my account. Boom. 11 o'clock this morning. Can't beat that. So, um, anybody that's interested in that, join the All-Stars, and um, you'll see all my picks there. Um, I got a pick going tonight as well. So, um, like I said, by all means, check it out. Check it out. So, um, Rolling into, because I got almost 20 minutes left, rolling into my, my bragging point right here. I told you guys, I think on the first show or the second show, but I told you that the Raptors would win game one, and that if there was a game that that was won by the Warriors, it would have to be game two, because ideally stealing that second home game gives the Warriors home court advantage for the rest of the series, and that matters. So, not gonna lie, I was a little nervous for a second there. Not in the not in the first half. I was actually nervous because I knew they were gonna come back. I was nervous when Clay went down, and, and these dudes didn't score for like four minutes. But luckily, the uh, Raptors can't score either. But um, excuse me. But that was probably the best NBA playout, payout. The best NBA payout money line that I've had this postseason. Um. And the funny thing about that is is that um, before Steve Kerr took over the Warriors, i just gotten into NBA betting. Um, and I remember the Warriors systematically, statistically, and from a gambling perspective. I remember how they were when Mark Jackson had that team. And after Kerr took over the Warriors, I think we got maybe four to five months of solid like love from from the casinos and, and the and the sports books on, on the lines with the Warriors. It was like they just didn't want to admit that they were that good. Um if anybody follows uh the IBS group, you can chronicle you can go back and look at how many times I played the three point prop uh for uh five to one on the first shot being a three pointer and how much money I was making. I was literally making $500 every other Warriors game. Every home game for sure. Like there was like a month span, $500 every game because of that three-point shot. Um and and when the books finally caught on, it was basically after their first championship and it was it was a, a cold day in hell before you got the Warriors as underdogs again. So mind you, this is all like 3-4 years ago. You can imagine how excited I was to see that this same core of players in Draymond, Curry, and Clay were getting underdog money in a Game Six against the Rockets. I don't know why, but they were getting underdog money, hammered it, and then turn around in Toronto Game Two. You can probably you can probably see uh, again where I like hammered it. Because it was um it was just there. So um pay attention to stuff like that. You're not gonna get them in good value anymore, probably. I mean, from a from a fan standpoint and an analyst standpoint, I would be a little surprised if we get another uh game in Toronto where they're gonna be underdogs like that. I would anticipate that Kevin Durant comes back by game four, so even if the Raptors get lucky enough to win a um, a game in Oakland. They're still gonna have to deal with uh, the Kevin Durant return, and Big ain't gonna they're gonna never let the Warriors be underdogs as long as Durant and Steph are on the show. Um, that was probably your last chance to really maximize some value there, unless you want to take chances on the Raptors. Uh, but it was great. Um, the props. I'm still a big fan of the um, the Clay Thompson points prop, even though he got hurt last game. They've been having him around like 21 points. They've been having um, Curry around like 30, 30 and a half. And you're not gonna get that at um, in Oakland. It'll probably be Clay around like 25, and then Curry probably like with Durant out, probably at like 32, almost or 33 maybe. So that's kind of a lot to ask. I would say the the play for points props in Oakland would probably be Draymond. Um, he'll probably be around like 13, 14. Um, and he's been around like 12 in, um, in Toronto. And the difference that you're going to see that made up in is probably free throw attempts when he's in Oakland. So he's going to probably take the same amount of shots. And he'll probably actually shoot a better three-point percentage at, at home, so I think that would be one of the better uh, bets to to make if you're looking to maximize um, some value. Now, I will say this that um prior to the final starting, um I did give out a free pick that I thought was one of the better um upside plays and that was Draymond Green uh at 10 to 1 to win MVP. There are some chance that he can um he can win MVP if they close out the series. Um so keep an eye on that. That would have been a decent come up um but, um, who knows I mean steph Curry is still the, the poster child, and he kind of needs an m v p to to add to his legacy um so you never know the n b a loves storylines so and they've been known to gift people awards that they didn't deserve, so um, that might be something we keep an eye on um to see how bad you know some people get hosed so um, let's go. Into this baseball support group <laughs> Alright, so I always say baseball support um, Because it is very true You can't win them all uh, Case in point, today has been one of the weirdest Days in baseball uh, mm, I'm looking at Worst case scenario, a push In the Giants-Mets game So I only gave out two baseball plays today um, It was the Giants-Mets Over seven uh, They're tied 3-3 in the bottom of the eighth So that's good Um Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll get a, get a homer. I'd rather not push it, but it's better than the loss. Um, now, the logic behind that is, is that in today's game of baseball, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but um, I know a lot of people don't like to keep current on baseball, but from a gambling aspect, there have been very few games where the game has been at 7, and the hitting conditions have been favorable, and they have not hit over, Okay. Um, So, with that being said, I know Madison Bumgarner is a big name. I know Noah Syndergaard is a big name. Both these guys have four ERAs, okay? And they got it for a reason. Um, Bumgarner's been borderline awful against right-handers, and Syndergaard's been borderline awful with runners in scoring position. So, we had a game today where from... A hitter's perspective, it was pretty decent conditions. Now I use the uh Kevin's uh is it Kevin Roth, Keith Roth. Please don't let me jack this up. Hold on. I use another Roto Grinders uh app. Um, it's the Weather Edge app, and it is by and I think I promoted this the last time I was here. It's by Kevin Roth. Okay. So Kevin Roth has a um a weather edge app he basically takes all the games from 2000 um, up until now that have the the same uh, weather conditions, and he basically shows you where they've been favorable to teams in the past or they've been not so favorable. Okay, so in San Fran, sorry, in New York today uh, at the game time it was 71 degrees. on the dew point scale, so that's not really humid at all, actually. It's a really nice day. 71 degrees is not too hot, not too cold. Wind's blowing out to center and right center about 6 miles an hour. Not necessarily a whole lot of help, but in these conditions, home runs are up 13.1%. Total runs are up 1.1%. And then ERAs are up 4%. So basically, it's like a pretty decent chance you're going to get some runs. Fly ball rates up 2.6 um, and, percent, and it's it's showing green on his scale, which means it's a go. Okay, so with that being said, I'm not basing my whole uh, pick off of that, but seven seven runs is light. These guys are no longer pitching like aces. I mean, and granted, they could turn it around at a moment's notice, but I, another pitcher that I've been kind of picking on. On the low is Max Scherzer. Um, and, and until these guys turn it around, it might take until all-star break or after all-star break, honestly. But until they turn it around, you have to play it. You have to take your chance and kind of hammer it. Um, and so with that being said, I've been picking on some aces that are not necessarily in the best form. Now, let me talk to you about why I say this is a support group. <laughs> The Miami Marlins are not good. They're not even trying to win. I don't even think they're trying to fill the team, okay? They're playing the Milwaukee Brewers. I have a love-hate relationship with the Milwaukee Brewers right now. I just haven't had a lot of luck with them. Um, So, if it ain't Zach Davies pitching at some point, I basically kind of fade him. But they still hit a little for me. You know, they, they still score runs. I just can't really pick them to win or lose. I can't really call it. So, I'm like, okay. We got four and a half uh, runs. You know, they usually hit at home. They're facing the pitcher, Lopez, who hasn't pitched that great on the road. ERA is at eight. I've seen him pitch um a lot of times on the road, and he's always giving up big innings. And it's like, he'll go four to five scoreless, and he'll give up five, six runs, you know. So the bullpen's not necessarily the best with the Marlins. Four and a half is light. Four and a half is really light for the the Pirates. I've seen the Pirates get uh, five to five-plus runs off of guys like Kyle Hendricks in Chicago with the wind blowing in at 20 miles an hour. So you can't tell me they're not going to be down for five runs at home against a pitcher who's got an eight ERA. Wrong. <laughs> it is 15 to 15-0 right now. Miami Marlins scored 15 runs. So if I have just taken the over uh, for the entire team it, it, or for the whole game, I would have hit that. But instead I took a side because, well, you can't trust the Miami Marlins bats. I mean, you just can't. But they've got 15 runs today. So, again, these are the things that happen you bet uh, baseball sometimes. It's just part of the game. You can't get too mad about it. I know, um, personally, it's a little frustrating, but that four-and-a-half could still pop. I had a game like this uh, this past week, actually, where the uh, Cincinnati Reds, it was the game where uh, Derek Dietrich went ham, and he had six RBIs by himself off of, like, three home runs. I think they were losing... um, they were losing 11 to, like, zero, and they put in a relief pitcher. He gave up a grand slam in the eighth and then two runs in the ninth, and I got my over four and a half. So I'm not giving up hope. We got, we're got we in the bottom of the six. Oops. And there goes somebody calling me for work. So I'm going to end this, and I will talk to you guys later. This has been win some, lose a little. I'll see you next week. On call. Yeah, how you doing, Phil? I'm well.